In this episode of the Driving Improvement Podcast, part two of the Teacher of the Year Roundtable, featuring Pat Coiner and Erica Larkin. Coiner is the 2015 MAPGA Teacher of the Year, ranked by Golf Digest on the Best Teachers List and Director of Instruction at Baltimore Country Club in Maryland. Larkin, the 2012 MAPGA Teacher of the Year, also ranked by Golf Digest, is the Director of Instruction at the club at Creighton Farms in Aldi, Virginia. In this episode, three Teachers of the Year bring you deeper into the golf instruction world. We discuss the explosion of online golf content and its effect on student improvement, balancing technology on the lesson tee while maintaining a simple approach, and why even the best teachers sometimes struggle to help students. If you're an avid golfer in need of direction or an instructor looking for advice to help on the lesson tee, don't miss this one. It's the Driving Improvement Podcast with Mark Russo right now. Welcome in, everybody, to the Driving Improvement Podcast, and I'm pleased to be joined in part two of our Teacher of the Year roundtable by Erica Larkin and Pat Coiner. Gang, how are you? Fantastic. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to, to doing this one. Uh, we had a great uh, great conversation with Chris, George, and John Scott, uh, Rattan, and, and we're looking to have some fun with both of you. So first off, uh, Erica, you start us off. What's the How's the business going? It's been obviously a wacky year. Uh, what's the status of your business and how's your family doing through this crazy 2020? Uh, no complaints here. Everybody's happy and healthy. Uh, we're trying to make it through the virtual school world. I've got two school-age kids. But other than that, as far as golf and work goes, I mean, never been busier. The weather cooperated for the most part this year, even through the fall. I mean, we've had an amazing last few weeks even, starting off November. So, I, I you know, it's just been continued new interest in the game. Uh, our membership has grown by, I think, 40 or 50 memberships. So it's just rocking and rolling. It's been a great year. And Erica, just give everybody to, uh, you know, just a general lay of the land in terms of uh, the, the facility, your facility where you are. Sure. So I am at Creighton Farms Club in uh, Aldi, Virginia, which is west of DC by about an hour and uh, near Dulles Airport. So uh we're in sort of a rural setting, but it's really beautiful, rolling countryside, big homes. Um, it's a high-end private club. We have a great practice facility, double into driving range, short game area, and we're in the midst of building a learning center building that will hopefully be ready by late winter, early spring. Awesome. Um, so yeah, I teach members and guests, and uh, I enjoy you know the location. I met them in, in that Northern Virginia market for like 15 or more years now. So, uh, it's been a good, a good run. Yeah. And I've had the, the privilege of playing your facility. It's an awesome facility. Pat, how about you, man? What's going on with you and the fam? Yeah. Uh, same. I mean, I think we're all fortunate to be in the golf industry, you know, with, uh, with everything that's going on, a lot of, uh, industries and businesses have, have taken a hit in the wrong direction. Golf has gone in the, in the right direction. Uh, never been busier. Uh, you know, when we came back from the shutdown in Maryland, that was, uh, I think it was the last week of May that we were able to go back. That week was crazy, literally on government governor Hogan's announcement. Uh, you know, it was like the switchboard lit up, uh, for, for lessons. So, and it really didn't slow down until maybe middle of October. Um, it slowed down a little bit. Some of that was by, uh, by design. 
just yeah. the need for a break and, uh, yeah. you know, to get away a little bit. But uh, October, November has been a little bit more uh, controllable, but still way busier than, than this time a year ago. Uh, as far as the family, same. I have uh, my kids are a little bit older than your alls, but uh, both in high school. So it's been a, a challenge from the social you know, settings of teenagers, um, you know, being told that you can't see your friends and, and can't go here and there, uh, and congregate's been a little difficult, but, but they get it also. Um, schools, uh, online other than one day a week. So, you know, they try to take advantage of that one day to go in and, and, uh, and act like real students, but it's, um, you know, all in all, everything's fine. It's just, it's just different. It's different for everyone. Yeah. And give everybody sort of the, uh, the picture of, of uh, your great facility, uh, BCC. Right. Uh, Baltimore Country Club, we're in Timonium, Maryland, which is um, uh, northwest of uh, the city of Baltimore. Uh, it's a, a high-end private facility. We have approximately uh, eleven to 1,200 golf members uh, for 36 holes. It's a really busy place. Whew. Yeah. Um, when you add in social members and all the different categories, there's literally, you know, 2,300, 2,500 people there. So it's, it's like a, it's like a, its own town sometimes. <laughs> and, and, you know, it has certainly felt that way in most days now with, uh, with both courses, the, the T-sheets being full literally from 7.30 in the morning till, till five or six in the evening. And, and then of course, um, not only myself, but the other instructors are, we, we've all just been busy. So it's. It's been great, but it's uh, it has certainly caused uh, you know some some reasons to uh, change things up and, and adapt. Yeah, and I think you both kind of spoke about it too—the craziness. You know, Eric and I were talking before we got on. It's just like finally starting to catch up with things, maybe a little bit. But this has been just—it's mm -hmm. been incredibly crazy for me as well, uh, and I know it has for you guys just with lesson bookings it's just i mean now i've been and i'm very lucky to have this but it's you know booked four or five weeks out and you know trying to fit people in the schedule and and all that it's just been uh been nuts how have you both been pat you, you start us off but just i mean how have you been managing you know the craziness of the schedule uh and i mean have you it sounds like you've been just as busy and and crazy as the rest of us yeah, it's, um, you know, it's certainly something you, you, as you both know, you, you can't let your guard down. You have to stay on top of the scheduling. Uh, you know, when you start, um, you know, getting booked weeks and weeks in advance, um, it's easy to lose track of, of even one or two here and there. And, and none of us want to make any mistakes. We never want to accidentally have a double booking. We never want to accidentally, uh, you know, leave a spot open that could be filled with someone, especially when, when all those spots are coveted and in, in demand. But, uh, you know, I manage my own schedule. I know, uh, I know some instructors have, uh, online capabilities. We've been, uh, whether it's fortunate or unfortunate, uh, the club has gone through some changes, uh, as far as, um, uh, software programs for the club. So, so this entire season, I didn't have the ability or the members didn't have ability to book online. So everything came directly to me through text or email. So, Oh, fun. So it, uh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you know, under, under yeah. normal circumstances, that'd be challenging, but under, uh, under COVID circumstances, it, it literally became, uh, just a, an endless stream of, uh, communication, but 
again, it, it, it is what it is. You, uh, you just keep rolling with it and, uh, and uh, find a spot for everyone that you can. How about you, Erica? Yes, uh, I echo some of the same, but I do use an online scheduling platform. So uh, through my website, I was directing all traffic to use that because I would just constantly keep an eye on it, make sure same thing that if anybody needed to change an appointment or something was canceled, that I could fill that spot with a waiting list. I just had a a continual waiting list happening over this course of the season. So uh, I'd call people and sure enough, they'd, they'd jump on the spot. So I remained really nicely booked for months here up until probably just the last couple weeks it started to die down a little bit but uh still pretty full so um i know that i i kind of gave a shout out to all the people that i hadn't finished up winter credits with you know in march we got cut short i took about six weeks off things had shut down a lot even though our club did remain open i took i took a little time off uh during the initial covid phase and um when uh, I opened up my calendar again in May, I, I con- contacted everybody that I had just been trying to finish working with from the winter, people that had outstanding lesson credits with me. And I was like, hey, you guys need to look at my calendar before I tell everybody else it's open and put your spots in. And it's open, you know, two, three months out. I've blocked it accordingly. So get your spots in. So I kind of gave them first pick. And then from there, you know, whoever else could uh, could uh, could filter in, then it was just first come, first serve. And uh, I did the best I could to obviously accommodate our members first, and I would make sure I took care of uh, took care of of certain people again that made more commitments to me with coaching plans and get them in on my schedule. If I had to open up an extra hour here or there, I did, but I was really conservative with you know the times that I I kept open online so that I wouldn't over overbook myself. Gotcha. Yeah, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's it, it certainly is a, a an interesting challenge, and yeah, for me, I mean it. I'm only teaching four days a week um, on purpose uh, just to get more time off and do some other things. And it's like, you know, being four or five weeks out and then having, you know, luckily, thank goodness, 30, probably 35 people doing year round programming Mm -hmm. twice a month. So it's like you got to get them all set up first and then working around. So it's been a it's been a challenge. Um, So as we get into things, we're going to cover some new ground uh, in this one from what I did in my first round table. But I did have a couple questions for both of you to to attack, because I think it's always interesting to get uh, the coach's perspective. And I, I cover these in the first one. And the first one, and Erica, you can take this one first, is just the quest for the, here's that word we all love on lesson T, consistency. I want to be consistent. The quest for consistency, I mean, why, why is improvement in this game such a struggle for most? Uh, I think that people just don't know what it takes <laughs> hmm. um, to, to really, you know, be consistent. What does that really mean? So they, they uh, play this game recreationally. And uh, that's such a common, you know, request from the average student that comes to take a lesson, the mid to high handicappers. But also consistency means different things to different people, right? But I just want, they just want that predictability that they can go out and not totally have a random day where they just can't, can't find the club phase. So, I mean, I think for, for certain people, for that golfer, maybe that high handicap, uh, more beginner type player that's just looking for a boost in their ability to perform, um, it's, it's about breeding confidence with them. It's baby steps, maybe going back to fundamentals, giving them a few, uh, strategies that, Hey, when all else fails, if you narrow your stance, play the ball a little bit back and hit a punch shot with your seven iron, like you're going to get the ball back in the fairway. Like it's just have some go-to strategies where they have maybe this one type of short game shot, even though realistically for high level players, we don't teach that way. Just, you know, give them some go-to techniques that, 
you feel like they, they can't fail. Um, and, and so teaching that way to certain players is helpful and they appreciate that. And then, you know, you, you kind of put the carrot out at the end of the stick and say, if you can get through this phase, then come back and we'll expand on it and we'll add more tools to your toolbox and, you know, understand how to use that sand wedge a couple other different ways. But, you know, for right now you want more consistency. Well then let's, let's keep it simple, master these basic things right here and these few things, and then we can kind of move on. But I think you have to show people that they, you know, can get quick success and, and what ways to do that is important to, to certainly secure them as a, a returning student, but also to make sure they believe that the process is, um, is doable and that if they put the time in and they just work on a few simple tasks that they can master those tasks and then add more tasks. So that's kind of how I approach it. But I mean, I think you have to be realistic too with players is sometimes I'll, it depends on my mood, I guess, but I'll, I'll play that sarcastic card and say, you know, how this is not a consistent game or we're, we're not consistent as human beings from day to day, how we feel, how we um, move, you know, so what consistency can we really, can we really expect? So how, where are the person's expectations? What are they looking for? Do you have to kind of bring them back down to earth if their goals are out of whack for where you think their game is, or are they truly, you know, on the brink of, of getting to where they really want to be? So depends on the student. Yeah. Uh, Pat, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I agree with, with pretty much everything Erica said. First of all, you know, human beings uh, are not consistent. We're not consistent in, in our approach, in how we feel. Golf in and of itself is an inconsistent game. I mean, you have different lies, different, uh, the, the holes can, can wind in different directions. You can have different types of grasses, different wind conditions. You know, every, everything's uh, constantly changing and constantly evolving. I think more people, and this is, this is where I, Again, you all both know my sense of humor, and I, I feel like I have a good relationship with my students. But sometimes I'll I'll remind them that that some of the students are very very consistent. They're just not consistently good. Yeah. And, you know, it's yeah. uh, it's obviously you have to be careful who you say that to. But it's sure. you, know, you know a lot of people hit the same shot over and over again. They just don't like the the consistent results. So you know, in in today's day and age, I think. Part of the struggle is the fact that golf is so popular and we now have so many resources and outlets, not only us as teachers, but our students are way more informed than maybe they were 20, 25 years ago. So, so they have uh, quick tips everywhere, right at their fingertips. They have the golf channel, they have YouTube, they have, you know, access to very, very good instruction and good information but it may not apply to everyone. And, and that's part of the problem is that uh, I think our students, they're so passionate about golf, but sometimes they don't realize that, that, uh, that they were on the right track in the beginning and, and now that they, they may stray off. And, uh, and that all just adds to the difficulty of, of an already uh, very difficult game. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you kind of segue us into one of our first topics, uh, main topics to their Pat is, is just the explosion of online golf content. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's massive. Um, it's across all different platforms. Um, you've got people creating stuff all over the place on YouTube, uh, making a very good living doing it too. So the real question here first is, you know, and, and Pat, you can start with this one too, is mm -hmm. it, is it all, is it good or bad for student improvement? 
um, the overwhelming, it's like a giant buffet, if you will, of golf information out there online. It's like you can overeat really easily. Is it good or bad for student improvement? What do you think? I think, um, and when I answer this, I try not to base this off of, of my preferences and the way I run my business. Uh, I don't, I don't provide online instruction, um, for a number of reasons. I, I'm fortunate enough to be, uh, busy and, uh, and I feel like I'm, we're never maybe busy enough, but I, I'm happy with, with the current state of my schedule. Um, I have some, a couple of professional players, some, some college players, and they take, they take more time sometimes. Uh, I also have a family. So just from a sheer uh, time and hour aspect, I don't give on online lessons, but uh, to answer your question, I think, I think it can be beneficial. Uh, but again, I, I think the the student has to have a clear idea of what it is they're they're watching, uh, the reason why they're watching it, um, and and it's probably up to the instructor. If it's a if it's a direct instruct instructor to student relationship, then I think it's definitely beneficial um, because you can just connect with the student, um, you know, in more ways other than when they're right in front of you. Uh, I think where it can become dangerous is is when the students or the or the the golfer is just searching all over the place and looking at a number of different instructors and and getting possibly conflicting information because like right. I said before there's there's a lot of great information out there and the three of us could all say the same thing uh, with the same goal in mind but we may say it in three different ways. Uh, and that student hears three different things. So I, I'm, I'm probably not answering the question directly. I don't necessarily <laughs> feel, you know, I don't think it's definitely good or it's definitely bad. Um, but I just think, I think the student and the teacher uh, have to be responsible for, for uh, you know, for what they're uh, ultimately getting out of it. Yeah. And I think, you know, you, when you look at the, look at it too, it's, you know, I, I've said to students, and it's almost it's somewhat hypocritical in a way because I have a YouTube channel that I I put some stuff on during the year. Um, I'm not as as good about it as as I should be, maybe. But you know, I, I, you're telling them like, "Hey, be careful what you're watching on there." But you can watch my stuff, mm -hmm. right? And it's like you know, you, you, in a way. But I also think it's a good uh, thing to have for a lot of reasons, getting you out there a little bit, but also having, if you will, a you know, a list of things that you can say, Hey, go to my YouTube channel and this will cover that. Or as a reminder, you have it in the can here that you can use to help your students. So you've sort of pre-prepared some things that you can share with them, um, that fits your teaching style, obviously. So, mm -hmm. you know, Erica, what do you think? Cause obviously you, you've done it, you know, uh, you do YouTube a little bit, I think, but Instagram has really been your, um, your message board big time. You're doing so much fun stuff on there. So let's get your take on it. Yeah, so I think, uh, thank you. Um, I, I have a lot of fun on Instagram. I certainly love to throw the music and the graphics and do all kinds of, you know, silly analogies and stuff and get people's attention. And it's been a great marketing tool for me. But, uh, you know, I try to put stuff out there. It's not necessarily on always one theme. I hope that what I'm doing is kind of like vitamin C where, you know, you can use it and, and if hopefully if nothing else, it just helps you. It's, it's a drill um, and whatnot. But 
yes, there's some specific stuff that if you're a slicer, you shouldn't watch this drill or, <laughs> I mean, right. right. So it's, you can't communicate that always in just a simple caption or you can't put a disclaimer on every video that, you know, be careful what you're watching. So you just put it out there. And, and I think people as they're watching me, the, the, my personal take is that they're getting a feel for me as a coach, they, my style, my communication style, my presentation. And so I get a lot of people that reach out saying, you know, they'd love to take lessons from me, whether it's in person or online, because they just like what they're, they like what they're hearing, seeing how I'm just describing things or showing things. So um, that's really how I use it as a tool as far as, you know, YouTube and just the amount of information out there, especially the more lengthy subject matter topics and discussions that happen when people go on for 10, 15, 20 minutes on a video about the backswing or whatever specific part, say, of the golf swing, or or um, it's it's great because there's a lot of good information out there. Some of it's not good, and and just like any other industry, you just kind of sort through it as the consumer of that information. And you try it; it doesn't work. You try something else; it works amazing. It's like uh, if you were talking about cooking, you know, you're going to try one recipe, it sucked. Try another recipe, it was amazing. Put that one in the book in your home book, you know. So I think it's 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 a it's a journey for people. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with, again, being on the, in that uh, kind of world of poking around on YouTube and finding information because if nothing else, maybe again, you just improve your golf IQ as the golfer and you learn more. I mean, there's some just amazing people that post some great stuff, whether it's technical or uh, practical, you know, ways that you can practice um, demonstrations of, you know, how they're playing on the course, course management. There's just so many different ways of doing content. I just, it's endless. Um, the best case scenario, I guess I could say is if a student is either working with a coach in person or signed up for an online lesson and they've submitted their video or they've done a Zoom with a coach and they get specific feedback as to what the diagnosis of their swing faults swing patterns are they get an identification like okay this is my pattern this is what i need to be working on then i mean personally i send my students to youtube and i say listen i know you're going to go home and probably do some more research so when you research you're a slider so i want you to like type in when you're searching up youtube like that you're looking for fixes to help you improve your lower body stability or lower body rotation. Like I'll give them kind of key words or search words and I'll use that in the lesson so that hopefully when they go on and do their own research, they're looking at that stuff. And I send students links in the middle of a lesson. Sometimes I'll be like, I have a great video you need to watch. And I'll like post it to their coach now page right there on the spot. Or um, I'll think of something when I'm on the internet looking around and I'll think of a student and like send them the link. So I'm constantly sharing information, whether it's my own videos, like you said, you have something in the can and you're, you know, you're referencing it and you say, I made a video on this topic. I'll send it to you when I send you your lesson notes. You can watch it again on your own time. I mean, like, I think that's a great way of using online content and it can be a nice way of blending that digital coaching and content together, you know, so that it's a nice organized way of keeping somebody on message with whatever it is that you are telling them to work on. So you just got to use it as a resource. There's a library out there. Not every book's for every person, but you can, you can get in the right lane or the right aisle, the right department, then it's great. It's awesome. Yeah. And I think it, you know, the harder part with all of it is I, I agree with you. I think from a, from a coaching perspective, when you deal with a student who's sort of, um, 
what I'll call like the, the ping pong ball student who, who is bouncing all over the place to different online surfing and content. And every time you see them that you come in, they've got other ideas or they're surfing and trying to dig. And what I tell students a lot of times is, and I'm curious if either one of you has run into these people. I'm sure that you, you probably have, but I always tell them, I said, look, you stay on the road. I give you, as soon as you take an exit, I haven't put on your map, you're in trouble. And so, like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like as soon as you take the, I like I'm your Siri or your Google mm -hmm. maps or whatever. And if you don't listen to my directions, you might end up in Omaha. So don't make sure that you do what I tell you. So um, Eric, have you seen, have you had those kind of students where you got to kind of finally just be a little bit more stern with them and say, look, yeah. if you want to get to where you want to be, follow the, pro the program here. Yeah, even mid-lesson sometimes we'll be talking about something and they'll be like, so what, what do you think about this part of my backswing? I'm like, we're not working on that right now. We're working on this over here. Like, we'll come back to that. Maybe that's like part two or part three. And, you know, it's not that it is important, but it's not high on your list right now. Like, we've prioritized where we need to focus. We're starting up here. This is the first the first thing. This is the low-hanging fruit. Let's fix this first. Then we'll get to the, your, your, you know, your other questions and those other things. But you can't. Rome was not built in a day. We're not going to tackle it all. And if your focus is there, your focus is in the wrong place, you're not going to make these improvements. So um, I think, you know, having, giving people the right intention, the right area of focus and keeping them on message is super important. Like what you're doing, that analogy is, is awesome. So. Yeah. Pat, how about you? Yeah, absolutely. I think we all have students who, who just want more and more information. And, uh, you know, once they, start to uh, improve in in one area even like erica said halfway through the lesson um you know they they feel like okay now it's time to move on to something else and uh just convincing them that that look you're doing better but you don't have this yet you know let's let's not stray from where we are and and then you know they sometimes the students don't realize that that we we see other things going on we you know we're probably we're working on what we think is the is the priority one for that time full well knowing that we already see you know maybe step two step three and step four mm -hmm. uh, already um we just it's just not time to get there yet so uh so trying to keep people on task and and then going back to the uh the youtube or the or the uh social media aspect of it you know knowing your student knowing um, if they're the type of person who definitely likes to look for more information, tailoring them and directing them into, okay, here's, here's what I want you to look at. Here's who I want you to look at. If they're, if there's someone who likes to copy tour players, which can be a dangerous, uh, avenue for anyone, but, you know, matching up body types or, or swing styles or, or whatever it is, you know, we all have a lot of, of knowledge that, uh, that we can help direct people in the right direction. But, uh, but sometimes just keeping keeping them on task and keeping their attention span to where you want it that that's uh, sometimes the biggest uh, challenge. Yeah, and we talk about uh, you know all the information out there, and so sort of getting into the next piece too is you know the technology of today. I mean, we're in such a technology based um, you know teaching world now. Uh, there's so much out there. And I guess the, the first question really is, you know, in this age, it's really exploded. So for both of you, like Pat, what are, what technology are you using currently in your, in your lessons, e even a little bit? Yeah. Uh, I use TrackMan. Um, I have a very expensive camera that I bought years and years ago, but now as, as technologies become better and better, I, I 
use my iPhone, you know, to film. Um, I have a body track unit that, uh, that's not the newer one. It's the older, uh, version. Uh, and then I have other, other, other training aids, you know, our indoor studio has, uh, high speed cameras mounted to the walls. So I, I use that, but, uh, you know, I don't have a swing catalyst. I don't have, uh, the same setup as some people have, but, uh, you know, but but tying in the the science of the TrackMan with the visual of the uh, of the uh, video, and then and then still relying a lot on my own uh, intuition, um, I think has has produced a pretty good combination of uh, you know balancing. I, I you know I've done seminars and things before where where I've always sort of preached the balance between science and, and intuition, and and I think if you can can stay somewhere in those lanes you're you're going to uh, you're going to attract the most number of people and then of course if you're if you're, the student you're working with is more technical then you get more into the science aspect of it if they're if they're if they're an artist uh if they're what much more visual then you may not even show them uh, the numbers uh you may just just give them feels and give them uh, a quick look here and there but i i think uh having as much as you can uh at your disposal is great full well knowing that you you probably shouldn't rely on anything in particular um, yeah. beyond what you're you're really good at and what you believe how about you erica what do you use in these days uh track means usually always there with me on and in the background uh for some students it becomes more part of the lesson than for others uh, sometimes I'll get through the initial baseline capture of a new student and realize like they're not going to need track me and I literally just shut it off then for the rest of the, the time. I mean, you can just kind of tell when you, you want to have it on when you don't want to have it on for some guys when gals, you know, leaving it on in the background, not even talking about it. And then later on in the lesson going back and showing, Hey, by the way, we've done all this work for the last 45 minutes you started out and you were here and now like, you know, half an hour later, now look at where these numbers moved and almost explaining it like post facto, just to prove my point that you just made a change. Or if ball flight's not exactly what we're looking for yet, you know, sometimes it just doesn't happen right away or they're getting a piece of it and you're just not seeing the results. You can kind of back it up with saying you've moved the needle, you know, you've moved your angle of attack, you've moved your club path. Like we're on the right track. I know the ball flight's not, hundred percent the way you want it yet, but it just helps me sell sometimes the fact that, you know, we're, 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 you're doing great and we're making a change. It's, it's day one or it's day two, whatever it is. And like, stay, have faith, like stay with me here. Cause you can see when people get easily frustrated, they want those quick results. It doesn't always happen for everybody, no matter I don't know how good of a teacher you are. I just, you know, it's just depends. Sometimes you click with some people faster than others. Some people, learn quicker than others. Um, and so I think that it helps to have it at your disposal. And that's just one example. I mean, that's what I have access to along with video. And yes, I'm constantly navigating both TrackMan and my video with my, with my iPhone. The cameras are awesome now. I mean, the slow motion um, uh, mode on, on, the, on the iPhone is just as good as you probably need to have, especially for outdoors. Um, so come with this learning center. Uh, down the road, they're going to layer in some more technology. We are planning on a swing catalyst that's in the works. I'd like to get that putt view system in our putting center. Yeah, uh, it's cool. going to be down the road. It's not going to be like phase one, but um, we will. That's on the list. How about that? <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm working right. hard to get the company to uh, approve those things on my wish list, along with probably a K-Vest 
Um, I actually own a Ford D motion sensor kit that I used a little bit, but I felt like it was really cumbersome for me to uh, use it, get comfortable interpreting the data. And so uh, I kind of shelved it for a while and um, thinking maybe I'll revisit that at some point if uh, KVS doesn't come sooner than later. But it's a good system. They have upgraded the sensors. I think the software has improved since I originally used it. So I'd love to in- involve some more biofeedback or at least capture in my lessons. But it's one of those things that I think technology needs to be there in a way that is not intrusive at all to the student. That's why TrackMan is nice because it kind of sits on the side and you can use it or not, right? It depends on how you want to display it. Although if you have a big monitor on the wall, if you're in a studio and it's just glaring the student in the face, they're going to start asking questions. But it's up to you still as a teacher whether or not you want the monitor on or off and show it to them. Uh, so I think, you know, the the stuff with sensors, whether it's KVEST or, or, or gears or whatever your system may be, um, can be a little intrusive in that it's on the person and now they're swinging and I don't know, it's set up, capture, you know, it has to be streamlined for both the player experience so that it's a good experience. It's not wasting time in the lesson with, you know, technical difficulties and, oh, wait, hold on, I got to calibrate you. And, you know, 15 minutes later, they're paying you for an hour and you just spent 15 minutes setting up the thing. That's not ideal. So I, I hate that, you know, if I'm going to integrate new technology, I want to feel like I'm super confident in using it, that there's not going to be any major glitches and that I also am quick to analyze the data. And I think in the early stages of using any new technology, even years ago when I first had my flight scope, I would like let it run and I wouldn't always teach with it. And then I'd go back at the end of the day and like look at the data and try to digest it. And just try to figure out, okay, next time that person comes, I'll have an answer to them as to, you know, what I was looking at. Because I don't want to look stupid in a lesson, misdiagnosing something or trying to look like I'm trying to figure out the data. Um, I'd rather look at it after the fact, like do the capture, don't even talk about it. And then, you know, hey, at the next lesson, we're going to talk about this and then have an answer for them as to, I looked over your report and this is what I'm thinking, so this is how we're going to work on it. So I think that's a better way of doing it if you have new technology. And, uh, you know, as a teacher, you want to look the most professional and the most expert-ish that you can. And so uh, that's how I've tried to incorporate it over the years. Yeah. And, yeah, and if I'm sorry, sorry Mark, Mark, if I yeah, could do that, um, you know, as teachers, I, I think um, certainly as you're, as you're working yourself up the ranks and, uh, and you're becoming better and better and, and learning more and more. I mean, I can think back to all the money that I've spent on whether it's training aids or technology or, uh, certifications and whatnot. And then, you know, at some point you realize that you probably don't actually use a lot of those things, you know, at the time it seemed like a good, good idea. And, and maybe, uh, you know, your your office wall looks good with everything hanging up. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I think a lot of teachers try to become experts at every single facet of, of instruction. Um, and as we now bring in the physical aspect and the biomechanical aspect, what, you know, what I've learned is that I, you know, I'm comfortable in my own skin. Obviously, I'm trying to keep learning and getting better at, at, at things along the way. But I also know where I'm really good at. And, and I also understand the, the certain areas that I'm just never going to be an expert at. And, and an example would be on the 3d side of things. And, and you both have, have met and know, uh, Mark Bull, who is a great friend of mine. He's been a great resource 
Um, but rather than try to become an expert on the 3D side of things, I just bring in Mark as an example a few times a year, book the days with, with my students so then they can get an absolute, absolute expert uh, opinion on that side of things. Uh, I would rather just bring in people who are really good at, at certain things rather than give my, my students a, a mediocre uh, assessment of it. Yeah, and I, that, that's a good point too, Pat. And, and I think, it, you know, what you said also, Erica, about the, the technology um, interrupting the flow of a lesson and everything. And, and uh, you know, I'm certainly, I certainly understand that having, you know, I have TrackMan and it's sort of running in the background, like you said, I use it way less than I did when I first got it. Mm-hmm. Like I, yeah. I see stuff a lot better now because of it. Yes. Um, I've yeah. got a K-Vest and I use it inter- intermittently more in the off season than I do during the season because I feel like even though, you know, I know how to set it up and it, it just feels like it takes longer than I want it to sometimes. And sometimes, again, I feel like it's going to be an interruption, but it can be helpful. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where is the return on investment been what I expected? Well, maybe not. And of course, I'm sitting here saying that about to take on a swing catalyst. So, uh, you know, but for me, that's something that I really wanted to get into. And I think you can help people quickly and do it in a way that's going to be maybe less uh, intrusive. But I think and I'm curious what both of you would say here too, but I do think using technology, if you're able to get access to it and use it, somehow in a way helps you, as I mentioned with TrackMan, almost helps your simpler approach in your teaching because Mm -hmm. sometimes it helps you understand what you're seeing better without use of the tech um, and you don't need it as much. Uh, I certainly have seen that with, again, with TrackMan. So, I mean, Pat, you know, based on what you've learned from Mark Bull using TrackMan and other stuff, would you say sometimes the technology, while it's advanced, can actually make your approach simpler? Oh, a hundred percent. I say this all the time that, uh, especially in the beginning when TrackMan first came out, and I was really fortunate to be to be trained and and to to really learn um, the benefits of TrackMan through. Uh, two people, James Lights and Sean Foley, and they really gave me a, a good understanding of of what I was seeing, and then and then now how to maybe see things that way without the machine on. You know, it's yeah. it's uh, and that's I think what you're getting at. You know, understanding and learning uh, things through TrackMan has made me a much better teacher when I don't have it because I feel like I'm I'm able to uh, not only predict. Uh, what those numbers may be, I'm able to to diagnose and get to the problem a lot quicker than maybe I used to, um, you know. And and TrackMan certainly in the beginning and probably even now it was it was you were either for it or against it. It was it was two sides of the of the oh, spectrum, yeah. and it was for a lot of people it was well if you really know how to teach you don't you don't need it, and <laughs> that just wasn't the case because it proved a lot of things that we were taught growing up you know, to not, to, to not actually be correct. And, um, you know, just understanding it makes you better when you don't have it. Uh, it also keeps, it keeps the, the instructor honest. You know, if you, if you have a really nice idea that you believe in and you give it to the student and all of a sudden those numbers go in the wrong direction, well then, then, uh, you know, you're not doing the right thing for that student. So it's, uh, it not only, uh, it, it can uh, it can make you feel good about what you're doing sometimes because the numbers back it up, but it, it, it'll keep you honest as well, which I, I think at the end of the day, 
you know, we all have to sometimes put our pride aside and, and just realize that we're there for the student. Uh, we're not necessarily there to sound smart. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if we last point here too, on this, on sort of all the technology and everything, like if, if we have a, a young teacher in front of us, um, and yeah, you know, I mean, I'm thinking back to when I started my business too, but if we have a young teacher in front of us, Erica, what would you advise them on getting first? If they could get some kind of technology, um, right away, if they had the means to do so, what would you say? Yeah, some kind of launch monitor, you know, even um, just to have it on to see, to help people with how far the ball is going. I mean, it could be even if you can't afford the Mac Daddy track man, if you can get something that's less expensive and have some kind of feedback, it just helps, again, prove prove your point or give them confidence, uh, gives information. So I think it shows that you're you're trying hard too. You know, if you have something there, um, I don't know, as a young student it's or young teacher, it uh, helps validate or gives you a little more credibility that you're serious about what you're trying to do, that you've made that investment in, in some kind of technology. So I, I, think, I think radar or launch monitor is probably the way to go if you're pay, trying to pick one thing. But again, you have to be like, what's your style, I guess? I don't know. I'm not everybody maybe as interested in that. Maybe they'd rather go the route of um, biomechanics or horse plates. So I, I think it's just in personal, personal decision. Um, and in terms of coaching, you know, we, we, this, we've talked a little bit about the whole consistency thing and, and there's so much to it. And I, I mentioned something recently about coaching being sort of a moving target and, you know, Pat, you could start us off here too, but sort mm-hmm. of you and I have had a couple of discussions about, you know, s- struggles in coaching and, you know, how long have you been doing it? And then do you still give bad lessons? And it's okay to say that here because I'm going to say I'm going to say yes. Okay, I'm perfectly yeah. comfortable saying that it still happens. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, I've been teaching. I'm 47 now. I've been teaching now for you know 23 years. Um, you know, in the beginning, I was still an assistant, so I, I wouldn't say I was teaching full time, but I was I was I was giving golf lessons. So, you know, at this point in my career. Yes, we all give bad lessons. We all we all have bad days. I mean, you know, we, it takes you back to the the reason why uh, players are inconsistent in their games. It it's the same sometimes with us. You know, you, you may not feel as great. You're, you know, you could be dehydrated. You could be whatever it may be. You might just, you know, something can be going on in your life outside of golf, and and it distracts you. Sometimes it's a personality conflict, and that doesn't mean that it's confrontational or, or even uncomfortable. But sometimes the the teacher and the student just don't quite see things the same way. Um, then you bring in, and again, it's 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 not what everyone wants to hear. But you bring in talent levels, and and certain players are simply better than others, and uh, and that does factor into it. But as far as my delivery, um. I feel like I certainly give more good lessons than bad. I, I think all three of us are are at the, the stage in our career where we're successful for a reason, and I don't mind saying that it's uh, it's taken a lot of hard work and a lot of a lot of adaptation. But but I'm still going to give a poor golf lesson, and sometimes I know it as it's going on. 
mm-hmm. you know, I'll, uh, in my own head. I mean, just, just last week I gave a lesson in my own head. I thought, Jesus, this is a terrible lesson. You're, you're not helping this person. In reality, we probably are, you know, a lot of times I don't think the student realizes that it's a, a bad lesson. It's just not as good as maybe what we're accustomed to, but, yeah. but nobody, nobody bats a thousand. Nobody's going to, going to be perfect. And, uh, and again, I think as teachers, we all feel like we have to help every student, uh, sometimes right on the spot, but, uh, full well knowing that that's, that's not realistic. Yeah. How about you, Erica? Yeah. I think the last thing you said definitely, uh, resonates where sometimes you can, first of all, yeah, you can have really good teaching days and other days where you're just not on, or like you said, maybe it's a mood, it's a physical, issue, you're tired, it's hot, you've been out there for seven hours, like that last Mm -hmm. lesson of the day, you know, isn't getting maybe your best, you're trying hard, but it's hard to focus if you're burnt out. So um, I think managing, you know, your schedule uh, is important and and having some kind of a break or some kind of a reset if you're feeling that way is is ideal, but it's not always possible. I've definitely given some bad lessons, I'm sure. And like you said, when you're in the moment, you feel like you're not helping that person. Um, it's like, okay, so what's the game plan here? There's 15 minutes left. It's not clicking. Um, you know, what, what can you do to salvage this? And sometimes I stop myself and I'll say like, okay, well, what have we accomplished so far? How can I get to the most simple things that are going to help this person the most? Cause I think half of it is maybe my fault if it's the lesson's not going the way I want it to, because I'm either trying to do too much um, maybe I have overloaded the student potentially, or they're just not ready for where I, I thought they would be. And so, you know, you go a little too far with the wrong person, or if their personality is such that they're, they're in, more antagonistic or they're mm-hmm. not as much of an open learner and your communication style is not clicking with that person, like it does happen. So I think that's more far and few between. I feel like most of the time I'm really satisfied with how the lesson went. I want I try to reiterate to that person, like, hey, this is what we've accomplished today. You feel good? Do you have any questions? Like, I want their reassurance, too, that they feel like they've had a a positive experience and they're leaving with good information and they know what to work on. And um, most of the time, I feel really, really, really good at the end of end of a lesson. But that one or one or two here or there that that don't feel that way at the end. um, It's like I either just needed more time with that person is how I feel at the end of the lesson. Like, God, we were right there. But can you come back next week? Like, I know we're going to get it. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's almost like this commu- mutual thing. And, 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 um, yeah, so I just reflect on those lessons and try to understand what did I miss? Or I'll look back at their video again after the lesson. And as I'm posting, say their video recap, I'll take that extra few minutes and I'll try to refresh my brain and say, okay, this is what we talked about in your lesson. But as I was looking at your video, or I reflected on our time together, here's a couple more things that we didn't have a chance to work on, but maybe I want you to think about this before you come back. So sometimes I'll go there and it's like after the lesson's over and I can reflect on how it went, I'll think of a couple more things that may help that person. I'll just throw it into their online recap at the end of the lesson. So I do my best. I'm always trying my hardest. Um, But yeah, sometimes you don't click with a person or it's easy to, uh, to, almost aim too high. And if you just stuck with the the simple setup fix, <laughs> you probably would have had a more positive yeah. experience than trying to tackle too much in maybe one hour. So. 
Yeah, and I think a couple things there you both covered uh, certainly hit home. And I think if we have certainly have some other coaches who listen to this later on, they're they're gonna certainly be shaking their heads wherever they are. But I think part of what you said there too is sometimes you you know it, it's that thing you want to help every person right then and there, mm-hmm. and. At the same time, in the other breath, we've we've said, "Hey, look! Sometimes it's a process. You got to learn how long it takes." But as teachers, we have to remember that too. Yes, that it's probably the first things first, and you're going to have to just go go one step at a time. And I, I think the other one too, there's just as a, a part of this, you can you can kind of tell how you guys are both talking about it. But some of the tiredness and 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 all of that too, when you maybe give your bad lessons is purely it's not maybe even a physical thing sometimes it's just the emotional drain of being all in for somebody for an hour like somebody posted this on twitter i think i saw it and it was like you know you're basically if you teach eight lessons in a day you're giving eight one hour lectures Mm -hmm. imagine doing that and then multiply that by however many days you teach that much that's a lot of talking and that's a lot of mental focus and emotional focus in in most uh situations too so you know, that's, that's just one of the many reasons that there's maybe those occasional bad lessons pop in there. Um, yeah. And I, I think that becomes, uh, all the more important, uh, reason to manage your schedule because, um, again, I, you know, if you're, if you're giving seven or eight hours of lessons every day, it adds up. And I, and I always try to, you know, the guy at five o'clock or the lady at five o'clock deserves just as much of my attention as the person at 10 a.m. Sure. Um, but when you keep adding on and adding on and adding on, it, it becomes almost impossible. So so just all the more reason to, you know, if I'm talking to the, the young, young instructor, that would be something I would stress is, is, look, it's like this badge of honor in the golf business to work 80 hours a week every week and and work every weekend and every holiday and all through the summer it's you know we were all kind of taught that growing up but the more you do it uh and you you start to uh think for yourself you start to realize that that may not be the best way so just just make sure you give yourself a break and that way you're better for the people when they're in front of you yeah erica you got anything to add to that no that was perfect yeah i i couldn't agree more uh that's why i've gone to the four day a week schedule because I want to mm-hmm. be home more with my kids. Um, and I actually want to start playing golf again. Imagine that a golf yeah, professional playing be, golf. How about that? Huh? Yeah, no. Um, you know, and one last piece in this area is mm-hmm. Pat, you and I have had some discussions too about, um, sort of feeling like you get stale with your approach yeah. and, and learning. So, uh, Erica, you can start us off here first, but, how do you balance that in terms of feeling like you, you want to keep learning and uh, there's so much new information out there, right? But also, um, you know, not getting stale, continuing to learn, but also making sure you maintain your own teaching style. And like we talk about with students watching all the YouTube videos, not trying to incorporate all these things at once and making a mess of it. The same thing can happen to us if we have information overload on our end. So how do you manage getting better versus making sure you don't lose who Erica Larkin is on the lesson tee? I think uh, when I see something new, interesting, that catches my eye, it relates back to what I would say is my core teaching philosophy. I'll try to bring that into the mix. Uh, It's really nice to have a lot of other perspectives of other coaches and maybe different philosophies because once in a blue moon, you'll get a student coming in and they might be from that camp or they've had experience in that 
that style or that philosophy, or they've researched a lot on a certain philosophy or, or method. And it's good to at least know enough to be dangerous. So you can communicate with that person and either teach a little bit more how they understand the golf swing or, or teach against it, but at least be able to explain it. Right. Um, so I think you always want to be aware of, of things and new ideas in the industry, regardless of if they match up with your own personal philosophy or not. But I think it starts with, I've, I've said this many times in, in many situations, but write it down. Like, what are you about? What are your key, you know, thoughts about the, the swing or the short game or whatever your niche is? Um, and, and put it out there, put it on your website, um, write it down in a, it doesn't have to be a book. It could be a short essay. It could be a YouTube video, but you know, what are your sort of foundational ideas about movement or, um, how you view the swing based on your background, your training, your influences, and being choosy as to those things that match up with your philosophy. Like I feel like I just, I just keep adding drills and ideas that jive with what I'm already teaching. So I just keep expanding the basic message. And uh, it's good to have other ideas mixed in as well that don't match up. But I try to stick to my philosophy as much as possible. Pat, how about you? Yeah, no, that's a great point, Erica. I think, I think in uh, in becoming in better, becoming better and better at what we do. Part of it is not necessarily changing what you believe in, but just adding more ways to say what you what you believe in, more drills to mm-hmm. emphasize what you're trying to to get to. I, I think uh, for a lot of teachers, they they have a strong belief in what they do, um, but again, it's sometimes you have to say the same thing four or five different ways before it clicks with a student. And they may, you know, I always know what I say, but I don't always necessarily know what they hear. So being able to put it in different, in different terms or show it in a different drill is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, For me personally, I've always learned best uh, as a coach and as a player, as when I go watch other teachers, you know, Certainly when I was younger, I, I, I invested a lot of my time and a lot of, quite honestly, my own money in traveling and seeking out teachers that maybe I had read about that sparked an interest. And then sometimes I ended up really liking what they had to say. And other, other times, quite honestly, I didn't. And uh, I, think, I think in the whole learning process, you, you keep what you think matches up and makes you better. Uh, with what you believe, but it's, it's okay to disregard things too. Um, but for me personally, just going and shadowing other teachers, I don't do it as much now as I used to just simply, you know, because of time. But, uh, but that's always been a great way for me to, to learn and just see a different perspective on things. Yeah. Well, both of those, uh, are well said. And I, I think from my perspective, you know, it, it probably takes a little while for you to figure out what your preferences and your style mm-hmm. are, and you're going to fail and give more of those bad lessons than you maybe would like to get there, but it's probably necessary. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, for me, the add on for learning is uh, because I will get too stretched out and I'll never finish something is I'll just take, I'm taking a look right now and saying, okay, what, do, what do I want to learn and what am I weak at? And mm-hmm. I'm going to do just a couple of things and just focus on those two and and do that it, like i'm getting the swing cows i'm going to get into that stuff a little bit more and learn from some people who are really good at it mm-hmm. and then maybe get into some some putting stuff too because i really haven't you know dove into that too much but i, I think 
you know, again, just trying to add to the toolbox, as you all said, is a, mm -hmm. is a, is a great way to do it. Um, so for, for both of you, Erica, you start us here, but what was the draw of coaching for you? Oh, just getting the student in front of me to have that aha moment and have that uh, amazing hit where you feel like you really help them achieve that and that you can see that light bulb go off and, and they have success and they're more excited about coming back to play. I think that that's the reward of coaching. So I still love those moments, the high five moments. You got it. You did it. Like it worked. What I'm telling you worked and you, you actually did it, you know? So, um, I just think it, it feels good to help somebody, um, both on the spot physically do something different. But if you know that they love the game or you can help in your coaching, make someone maybe love the game, inspire them to play the game more or at all. I mean, I think that's where uh, the joy comes in teaching and that's what attracted me to it initially and still makes me want to go out there every day and do more. Patrick, how about you, man? Yeah. I mean, I, I originally got, into teaching because of the playing side of things. I mean, when I was younger and, and even in my very early days as a club pro, I was much more focused on playing than I was anything else. I, you know, I wasn't good enough to play the tour obviously, but, but I still really loved competing. And I had a few teachers that, that had a, a great influence on me, not only on my, my game at the time, but just me as, as a person helped me see things differently. Uh, and I think that started my interest and, and, you know, made me wonder if I could have that same effect on, on other, other people, um, you know, becoming a full-time teaching professional and then a director of instruction. It also allowed me to control my own schedule, um, which again, in the beginning, that meant I could, I could play in all the mid-Atlantic section events. So, <laughs> so it all started from the playing side of things. And then, you know, as I started to become a little more realistic in my, my own abilities and whatnot, it, uh, you know, it, it became almost a way for me to satisfy still my competitive side of things. Certainly now, you know, I've been working with, uh, you know, a couple of professional players and some really good college players and juniors. I'm, you know, I'm fortunate to, to teach a lot of, uh, of really, really good players. Uh, selfishly, it, it, it still satisfies my competitive side of things, you know, to see those players, win tournaments or, or play well in tournaments and, uh, and, uh, and keep advancing. It, 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 it makes me feel like I was a part of it. That's great. Uh, you know, and Erica, you brought the word up. Uh, anybody who listens to these podcasts with me and, and who knows me, I use the word often, but joy. Like, I think it's a very special thing that we have to help people get more joy. And it's really not, I mean, golf is a vehicle, right? But it will really help them enjoy their lives better. So mm -hmm. there's a ripple effect to that. That's pretty special. So uh, that's a great word to use. Uh, so we're we're getting before we hit our last little rapid fire section here and wrap it up. I do have we're going to reach out and talk to the students who are listening here. What should students uh, be better at in lessons? Pat, go ahead. <laughs> what should they do better in lessons? This is your chance, man. And you can take this as hard or as soft as you want. <laughs> Um, you know, we've probably already talked about it. I think, uh, students can be better students. They can be better learners if they, they're already trusting us enough to spend their time and their money on us. But if you're going to do so, uh, 
do what we say. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, that's a blunt way to, to put it. But, uh, you know, if you trust us enough to, to uh, come see us, um, give it a chance. You know, try not to stray outside the, the box of what we've given you. Uh, keep in mind, like, like I said earlier, we see other things. Uh, we're not missing the the thing at the top that you've done for 30 years. Um, we're not ignoring that. It just might not be the time to do it. Or we may realize that that's not going to change and we're trying to make you hit it better from there. Um, so, yeah, it, people can be better students if they if they trust us and they stick to the task. All right, Erica. Yeah, I would say the same. And also that I, I think not so much in the lesson, but post lesson is, is do your homework. You know, I always, people say, well, when should I come back? It's like when you get four or five really good solid practice sessions and then you should come back. She'll probably be ready at that point. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're only going to the range once or not even, and then you just go right to the course and try out the stuff that we were doing. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, that's not how the learning process goes. That uh, depends on what kind of fix it is. If it's just a simple setup fix or something like that, maybe they could take it straight to the course. But if it's anything mechanical or motor patterns, like, I mean, you know, you have to give it a chance to sink in. So setting expectations, um, people come to a lesson and then they tell me they have a guy's trip. They're headed down to Myrtle Beach um, two days <laughs> away. It's like, <laughs> yeah, and they want this, those. they want the magic yeah. pill, you know, or the club championship is next weekend. Championship. And I'm like scrambling here, you know, my game's, like crap right now and I need you to give me something. And it's like, I try, I'm trying my best to give you the simplest thing that I think you're going to be able to translate to the course if this is the case, but also be honest with me about what your expectations are. And if that's the goal, then the lesson might go a little different than if you said, you know, I want to be a, uh, I want to drop my handicap by five points by next spring. Well, then we would maybe do things differently in today's lesson. So mm-hmm. it's a lot about making sure you're honest with your coach. So if you're a student out there, you're honest with your coach about what your short-term and long-term goals are so they can like, guide the lesson effectively and appropriately for you because it would be two totally different approaches if I knew that. Um, if you didn't, don't tell me that, I don't know. So I usually try to interview and ask those questions before we begin because I've been burned a couple of times <laughs> on that yeah. where I go in a certain direction at a lesson at the end and the lesson are like, oh yeah, so... So I'm supposed to play golf on Friday. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Right. Yeah. Why didn't you say something? You know. But I try to always ask, definitely. And if I don't, it's on me. But um, be honest with your with your doctor. You know <laughs> what's going on, right. <laughs> and uh, and full disclosure about you know injuries and things like that too. I feel like I had this one guy last week, and I'm like. He's an old, older senior kind of player, and I asked him about his physical, any physical limitations, anything bugging you, any pain anywhere, any you know anything. And he's like, no, I'm in perfect shape. I'm like, yeah, okay, let's get into it. And sure enough, like three swings in flying right elbow in the back over here. He's got no shoulder mobility. His posture's all slumped over. I said, I showed him the video and I was like, so tell me about that right shoulder again. He's like, oh yeah, well, I am kind of tight. <laughs> like, Okay. Yeah. Like, you know, you, but again, maybe it's just simply they're unaware and they, their uh, view of, of what kind of shape they're in is a lot different than what we might think once we see them start to move. So uh, I don't know. Just have an open mind. Be honest with your coach and um, be ready for a process, right? It's not one and done. It's never one and done. Yeah, what'd you say there? I had a guy. Oh, uh, sorry, Mark. I had a guy. <laughs> it's funny. Now we could, we could tell stories all day if we wanted to. But I had a guy who, same thing, I always interview people uh, – 
at first and ask a bunch of questions. And, and one of the questions I always ask is, okay, any, any injuries, any surgeries, uh, you know, any accidents, whatnot. And I see two big scars, one on each knee, vertical <laughs> scars. I'm thinking, okay, knee replacements. And, uh, and he said, yeah, I had my knees done, but they're fine. And then, you know, I had shoulder operation, but it's fine. And so he had this, this long list of, of things. And, and I figured that was all of it, but, uh, I could tell that, you know, every shot he hit, he was staying, he's a right-handed golfer. He's staying on his right side the whole time, the whole time. And finally I said to never anything with the left hip. He goes, well, I'm having it replaced in a month, but it doesn't bother my golf swing. <laughs> okay. Yep. So, there you, uh, go. you know, it's, uh, people try to be tough yep. and they, uh, a lot of times they literally don't think that, that a, a, a physical injury or a, you know, a, a fractured femur, you know, two years ago was going to still affect their golf swing, but, uh, but they don't realize that they've built patterns around that injury. So, yeah. yeah. That's why you have to ask. Welcome to the lesson T. We're mm-hmm. always yep. we're always dealing in incomplete information. Yes. Right. 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 All right. So we're gonna finish up with just some uh, some rapid fire with both of you here before mm-hmm. we, we wrap it up. So uh Erica, you start us. Uh favorite training aid. Orange whip. Pat. Oh gosh. Um the Sheftic pressure board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just got mine and I, I'm using it so much and it's yeah. really helpful. Yeah, um good. Well, we might have already covered this one, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, uh, what do students do that drives you crazy? Go ahead, Eric. Um, <laughs> Way to pass it they, off, Pat. God. They just want to know after every single hit, you know, what what happened on that one. It's like, yeah. it's the same thing. Just keep trying. <laughs> yeah, work on work right. on patterns, not on one ball. Mm-hmm. Okay, how about you, Pat? Yeah, same thing. They, they think they're, they're good shots were perfect swings and they think their bad shots were terrible swings and, and not realizing that they were, they were basically the same thing. You just, you know, timed it one nanosecond better. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, all right. So uh, you have a choice here, uh, hit it far or put it like the greatest putter you've ever seen. Which one would you choose? If you could pick a skill. Putting. Between the two, I would want to make everything, but, yeah. uh, but that okay. we could get in a whole another conversation. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, Chris, I think Chris and John Scott both answered distance. So that's, wow. that's interesting. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It's a massive uh, advantage. No doubt about it. It is. Well, but I mean, even if you can still it. drive it up near the green, you still got to get in the freaking hole. So right. yeah, that's and true. I would also, yeah. <laughs> I would also say, okay, it depends what type, what caliber player we're talking about yeah. here too. It's sure. obviously the, the tour game is, is uh, we're seeing distance more and more, but uh mm-hmm. I don't know. Holding out is there's still something to holding out. Yeah, no question about it. All right, uh, you got a choice: fade or draw. Draw. Oh, you you know what I'm going to say, <laughs> Pat, Pat. I know I, yours. <laughs> I want to slice it because <laughs> because I've hooked it my whole life. I, yeah. I hate hooking it, but it's um, yeah. I, I love seeing properly hit fades. Okay, fair enough. All right, so as we record this, it's very odd to be in November and saying this, but it is Masters week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so favorite major championship, Erica? The Masters, definitely. Okay. It's just such uh, an unbelievable in-person experience. I'm so happy to have gone just only twice. I'd, I would have gone this year, but didn't work out, obviously. 
can't wait to go again. It's just the best tournament I've ever been to in person. And be, and I think it just is so much more special to watch on TV after, after having been there. But even before I ever visited, I mean, I just think it's that consistency of seeing the same course every year, knowing the history and, and year after year, people trying to do their best there and all the traditions. I just think it's so special. Yeah. Pat. Yeah, I, I agree. The Masters is is just different. I've I've been to three of the four majors. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't been to the Open Championship yet. I would love to, um, but the Masters is different. It's it's um, it, it's almost like for golfers, it's almost like church. It's like you walk on the grounds and and it's just so perfect. There's never a piece of trash anywhere. There's never uh, you know people leave their seats sitting you know, buy a certain green for hours on end, knowing that no one's going to sit there or take it. It's just a different respect, uh, for the game. Um, you know, the golf course itself, uh, is so much hillier than you can even fathom on TV. Uh, mm-hmm. The greens are unbelievable. It's just such a, it's just such a respectful, like pure place. It just, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's just a different feel compared to any other tournament. Um, how about the, the best course, uh, you've played Pat, what wow. do you think? I mean, you, um, you get access to a couple of pretty good ones every day, but I, I do. Yeah. Um, the East course at Baltimore country club is fantastic. And certainly if, if you had to pick a course that you, you know, one course that you would play every day, um, it, it's tough to beat the East course. But if I, if I go outside of my home game here, um, you know, Pine Valley is phenomenal. Mm. I've been there five or six times. I'm, I'm fortunate to teach people who are members there. I just played Marion um, last year and then again this year. Uh, Marion's different. It almost has that same type of, of feel that I was talking about uh, with Augusta. Uh, Pinehurst number two is special to me because my dad and I would, would always go there. Um, so obviously it has sentimental meaning, meaning uh, beyond just being a great golf course, but uh if I had to pick one, you know, I've got Pine Valley and Marion kind of 1A and 1B. Awesome. Erica? Haven't had the pleasure of playing either of those courses, uh, maybe down the road. I have a lot more travel in my my bucket list that needs to happen here uh, in the future. I did last year, though, knock off two big big ones, which is Pebble and, and Pinehurst, mm. uh, number two, and both were amazing. So of all the courses that I've ever played, those are certainly the most historic and there's just pebble is i i just want to take a picture like everywhere i look i just just everything was so scenic i mean i feel like you're sort of in a dream there monterey peninsula is just unbelievable we had a great day weather wise um playing and and i just i would love to go back and play again now having gotten over the initial excitement of just being there and walking those fairways and seeing the sights like actually playing the course and concentrating on my game would be good but um, no, I, I really enjoyed my Pebble trip and Pebble Beach specifically. We played all the courses there, but that was great. Awesome. Yeah, that's certainly yeah. the one that I haven't played that I <sighs> that I have to. Yeah, so good. yeah. Haven't haven't done it. No. But uh, on eighteen, you might want to aim like way up the right side. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just hit a little fade off the oh, rocks. Butter fade. Oh, there you go. <laughs> right. Perfect. Ground fade. Awesome. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, I, I really appreciate uh, the both of you taking time on your day off to uh, to spend some time with me on here. Uh, we could tell teaching stories and get into some of the 
experiences mm-hmm. on the lesson tee probably all day. And maybe that's uh, another <laughs> one of these we should do at some point. But uh, I really appreciate uh, the time, the friendship. Uh, wish you all a great Masters week and, a, and some a much needed uh, time off coming up, hopefully here and some rest and recuperation uh, and safety to your family. So Erica, you, and Pat, thank you. Thank you both for coming on. I really Pat, appreciate it. Good to see Thanks you guys. Thanks guys. Erica, good seeing you. Yes. Talk to you soon. All right. See you. Thanks to Pat Coiner and Erica Larkin for joining me on part two of the MAPGA Teachers of the Year Roundtable. Today, you got a firsthand look at the passion and commitment of two top-notch golf coaches. You also got a look into the world of golf coaching and how sometimes we struggle with bad lessons, a stale approach, or what direction to go in terms of our own improvement. And if you're a teacher, find your style and learn from your mistakes and don't let them define you. And if you're a student, Make sure you are practicing within the framework of what your coach is giving you and be open about your progress and your struggles. Thanks again to Erica and Pat, and thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. For now, this is Mark Russo with the Driving Improvement Podcast, and we'll see you on the lesson table.